I think uh, most of you know who I am, but I'm John Schroeder. I uh, am a full-time chaplain at Pinellas County Jail. Um, two years ago, retired from a, being a chaplain in the Army for 23 years, and always a uh, an honor to study God's Word together. And before uh, we get into this study, it's interesting, I know Mike Mitchell shared a couple weeks ago, sometimes the Lord brings you to a certain passage, and as you're reading through it, He might add a verse or two uh, as to what your study is going to be. When I first uh, was led to the passage we're going to look at, it was like uh, four verses in, uh, in the book of Romans. And then the Lord said, well, what about that verse before that? You need to include that one. So that's what I did. And so as you'll see, it's kind of divided up a little bit different, and that's okay because as the Lord leads, that's how I always go as to what God wants me to share. Having uh, retired two years ago from the Army, every time we go to MacDill, and I see all the different uniform patterns. I don't know if you ever notice that. Don't see probably a lot of them out in public. But each of the uniforms have a different pattern that they wear for their daily wear. The Army has a universal camouflage pattern. The Marines have the woodland and desert, what they call the MARPAT pattern. The Navy has the woodland digital desert variants of the camouflage. The Air Force has the digitalized tiger stripe, a little different. And the Coast Guard has the ODU camouflage pattern. So when I see them, I, I know what branch they're in as soon as I can distinguish what kind of camouflage uniform they have on. But every time we go to MacDill, there's also others that don't match any of those branches of the military because sometimes they have countries visiting MacDill. They're learning alongside uh, those at MacDill. I've seen Army uniforms from Bolivia, Argentina, and Bulgaria, just to name a few, because I go and ask them. I'll say, well, that's an interesting pattern, and then they know a few words of English, and so I try to find out what country they're from. But as they're identified by their uniform, we as believers, too, need to be identified with Christ by what we show to those around us. Matthew 7, 16 and verse 20 says, You will know them by their fruits, therefore by their fruits you will know them. That's talking about actions there, but it's also a uniform in the sense that ours is an interior, exterior kind of uniform. Because once we're saved, we're beginning to be sanctified, set apart to be like who? Like Christ. So every day... Our lives should show more on the outside of who Christ is rather than who we are. And so the world needs to see that difference. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 tell us, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation and with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God's working in us as believers from the inside out. And so that uniform on the outside, people should be seeing 
as we are putting on more and more of Christ. Hebrews 2.11 says, For both he, Jesus, who sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified, us, are all of one. For which reason Jesus is not ashamed to call us, believers, brethren, and sisters, one in Christ. Isn't that great to know that? One in Christ. As Christians, our lives should show Christ-like actions, attitudes, and thoughts. Our neighbors, our co-workers, inmates at Pinellas County Jail, our unsaved family members are searching for the answer. And they should be able to look at our lives and say, I see a godly life in so-and-so. I see a difference. And when I'm in the middle of something I can't handle, they turn to someone. And I want to know what that's all about. Because we turn to Jesus. They see that. Well, I was a chaplain in the army for 23 years. I always tried to show soldiers that it's about a relationship, not a religion. Because they would say, well, chaplain, which church should I go to? I'll say, one body in Christ, the the Church of Christ. And they'll say, well, I haven't quite heard of that one. Is that a new denomination? I said, no. It's one that's based on a relationship. The relationship we have with Jesus Christ. We've accepted that he died for us. And God placed us in his family. And no one can take us out. Do those around us see the godly life live by, we have examples of, like Daniel, a prisoner of war for 70 years, taken from his homeland and made to learn about another culture, a culture that was against God. And yet three times a day, what did he do? He prayed. Prayed to whose? The gods? Prayed to our God. Three times a day. And God heard every one of those. He says he will hear our prayers. Our Paul, who was stoned and left for dead, And praise the Lord, Dr. Luke was there beside him, and he said, I'll patch you up. Paul said, okay, I'm going to get up. Let's head to the next city where God has called us to go and share the gospel. Paul was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned numerous times. And I use Paul a lot at Pinellas County Jail because they too are in jail. They're in prison. And yet God used him how many times? Over and over. And then at times he was even handcuffed to the soldier who was watching him. And can you imagine to hear the witness of Paul all the time, 24 hours a day? Paul had him right there, a captive audience. And yet I'm sure he was sharing with them because Jesus is the answer, the answer. Do others seek us out for spiritual counsel or do they avoid us? Do others seek to model what they see in us or they tell their kids, well, don't act like that person over there? Do our lives show salt and light and reflection of Jesus? Julian Huxley noted, It doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian. It just takes all of him. We can't live the Christian life based on good intentions and warm feelings. It takes accountability. God has given us standards and principles that he holds us to. Because someday we're going to have to give an answer. And the Lord will say, what did you do for me while you were on this earth? Well, I meant to do this, or I was going to do this. No, no, what did you do? 
And we're going to have to give an account. We are to be God's light and salt in this world. He wants to use us. We've got to say, Lord, here am I. I'm here to be used of you. Self-discipline is needed in obedience to God's word. One commentator said, simply put, self-discipline is a willingness to subordinate personal desires and objectives to those that are selfless and divine, to subordinate that which is attractive and easy to that which is right and necessary. For the Christian, self-discipline is obedience to the word of God, the willingness to subordinate everything in our lives, physical, emotional, social, intellectual, moral, and spiritual, to God's will and control and for God's glory. End of each day, we need to do a self-evaluation to say, Lord, did I bring glory to you today? Did I take care of those divine appointments you set up for me today? Did I say that word of encouragement to a brother or sister who's struggling? Did that brother or sister who was short on paying a bill and I had the ability to do it, did I do it? Did I bring glory to your name? Well, this morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. And it was going to be verses 10 to 13, but the Lord said you need to add verse 9. And so we're going to look at verse 9 today and then verses 10 to 13 next week. But we're going to have a two-week study on the godly life, the godly life, the God-centered life. Before we uh, look at this, I was just reminded, having been in the military, of some of the values that we were to adhere to while we were in the military. And many of you probably know these, but... I think it's good to just pause here because this is what it looks at in the military of the seven duties, seven values of those that serve. This is for the army. The first one is loyalty. Loyalty is a faithful adherence to a person, unit, or army. It is the thread that binds our actions together and causes us to support each other our superiors, our families, and our country. That's loyalty. The second one is duty. It's a legal or moral obligation to accomplish all assigned or implied tasks to the fullest of your ability. Every soldier must do what needs to be done without having to be told to do it. Respect is the third. Treating others with consideration and honor. It is the ability to accept and value other individuals. Selfless service, placing your duty before your personal desires. It's the ability to endure hardship and insurmountable odds because of love of fellow soldiers and our country. Honor is living up to the Army values. It starts with being honest with oneself and being truthful and sincere in all our actions. Number six, integrity means to firmly adhere to a code of moral and ethical standards. Every soldier must possess high personal moral standards and be honest in word and deed. And the final one, personal courage. The physical courage to overcome fears of bodily harm while performing your duty and the moral courage as overcoming fears of other than bodily harm while doing what is right 
even if it's unpopular. Quite a list. But in the army, everyone that went into the army was held to that account. And one other thing before we move on is the soldier's creed. You've probably heard it as well. I'm an American soldier. I'm a warrior and a member of a team. I serve the people of the United States and live the Army values. I will always place the mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. I will never leave a fallen comrade. I am disciplined, physically and mentally tough, trained and proficient in my warrior tasks and drills. I always maintain my arms, my equipment, and myself. I'm an expert. I'm a professional. I stand ready to deploy, engage, and destroy the enemies of the United States of America in close combat. I am a guardian of freedom and the American way of life. I'm an American soldier. Those are things that soldiers in the Army, I know we were all held to. And that's quite a list. But I think it reflects, too, just a glimpse, too, of what our values, what our duties as well should be as we begin this study. But this will be a two-week study on the godly life, and we're looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. The godly life means we are accountable to God. It's not that we're saved, and I hear this quite often, we're saved and we put it in our back pocket and say, okay, now I'll just live like I was living. I don't have to live for the Lord. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I'll go to church. That must be good enough. That'll look good, and that's all I'm going to do. No, there's an accountability. And this week in verse 9, we're going to look at our personal, individual duties. And next week, we're going to look at our duties toward one another in the body of Christ. So we're going to read verses 9 to 13 of Romans chapter 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Quite a list. Verse 9 has three duties that are on us individually, personally. And then verses 10 to 13, we'll look at next week, have ten duties that we have toward one another. Well, before we look at Verse 9 today, we need to kind of understand a little bit of the context of Romans 12. Romans 12, the first two verses, focuses on what genuine worship of God is, what it is. Uh, It's not just you go to church, sing a few hymns, hear a message, and go home. But what is worship? What is true worship? What is the worship God wants of us? Verses 3 to 8 center on spiritual gifts that we need to use. We're one body in Christ and we have a responsibility. You say, well, I don't want to use my gift. God says you do it for the sake of your brother and for your sister because we all need each other. We're not many bodies in Christ. We're one body in Christ. And then after our passage, beginning of verses 14 to 16, It talks about what our duties are to everyone. 
And then finally, verses 17 to 21, the remainder of chapter 12, relays our responsibilities to our enemies. And those may be uh, future uh, studies that we do uh, sometime down the line. But today we're going to begin on our personal duties, our personal obligations that we are accountable to God for in verse 9. But as we focus on these duties, John MacArthur shares the following, and I love this. When we fall short, we should ask the Lord's help. Where we have been faithful, we should give Him thanks and praise. I love that, don't you? It's simple. (laughs) And one thing I learned in the military, bottom line, all my commanders would say, Chaplain, don't give me a long story. Tell me what's the bottom line. What should we do? And so I'd have to summarize it, and I'd have a sentence or two, because most of the time my commanders had a little time. Say, well, Chaplain, I got a minute. Well, that meant about 30 seconds, so you had to condense it. Well, here's the bottom line, John MacArthur. Where we fall short as we go through these duties, we should ask the Lord's help. That seems common sense, doesn't it? Where we have been faithful, we should give him thanks and praise. Because it's God who does it through us. Amen? It's the only way. Now our focus today, the three duties on a personal level in verse 9 that God holds us accountable for. Verse 9 again we'll read, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Our first duty, let love be without hypocrisy. It needs to be an unconditional love that centers on the needs of the one that we love. Romans 13.8 Owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 1 Corinthians 13.13 And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. 1 Peter 1.22 Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love for the brethren fervently love one another from the heart. You know what fervently is? Give it your all. Give it your all. It should be part of our daily walk. First John 3.14 declares, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. So it's something on a personal level. A love from God. And who gives us this love for one another? God does. We can't manufacture it ourselves. And so we say, well, I have trouble loving certain people. Yeah, they just get on my nerves. You don't understand that. But what about us? God loved us and we were his enemy. We're living in sin and headed to hell. God loved us anyway. His love should flow through us because as I see more and more the world around us, they're grasping, saying, I I need something here. I'm drowning. And we have the answer that we can share. Again, this is God's love. It focuses on the object, whether that object returns love or not. 
Say, well, I can't do that. No, we can't. God can through us. That's the key. Matthew 22, 37, 38, Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. We love ourselves pretty good, don't we? We should love our neighbor just the same. Paul served God's people in genuine love. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 6. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulation, in needs, in distresses, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. Sincere love. This love, it says, can't be, must be without hypocrisy. No self-centeredness allowed. It has to be pure. An example of Judas, he pretended to be a devoted disciple when in fact he was feeding his own ego. And he demonstrated that when he betrayed Jesus. In other words, bottom line, don't try to fake God's love because we can't. The one who produces it through us is Jesus. We can't fake it. We can't act like we have God's conditional love because our outside uniform, our fruit's going to show, right? I used to hear all the time, well, chaplain, he's so sincere. Well, you know, you can be sincerely wrong. That's possible. But, so I use the word instead of sincere, I like to use the word, he's genuine. Genuine. He's real from the inside out. The world around us, they can put on a big show, right? And we can think, wow, they're really walking with the Lord when underneath we see how many pastors, how many chaplains fall because of immorality. They, they looked like they were successful on the outside, but it was worldly success, not success in God's eyes. In our lives, if our lives show no evidence of God's unconditional love inside us, you can't be saved. Because that's part of who God is. He's our Heavenly Father. He's the one that's working through God, the Holy Spirit in our lives to transform us, to change us. And so that love has to be there. Group of inmates I'm honored to lead and worship on Thursdays usually. Every time I go in there and I talk to them, and they, some of them are in for murder, some of them are in for you wouldn't believe what, what kind of things they're accused of. And I don't know whether they did it or not, but God does. But when I go in there, I have to remember, except for the grace of God, I could be on that other side. Any of us could. Some of them have grown up and all the examples they've seen have just led them. They've chosen it, but that's led them down a path of open sin and breaking the law. And they want to change. And I said, the only one who can change you is God himself. He's the only one. You've got to believe on God's son. You, that's the way. I use John 14:6 many times as I talk to inmates because they hear everything else will get you to heaven and God makes it very clear in John 14, 6. Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not one of many. 
but the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. And I'm glad that's true. That's simple. Man likes to add to it. But as soon as you add to it, it's a work. And then it's not grace anymore, is it? Salvation from beginning to end is all God. By grace we were chosen. By grace we were able to respond and receive the gift. It's all of Him. All the credit belongs to Him. Where are we this morning personally within our lives with showing God's genuine love? Are we allowing God the Holy Spirit to implant it in our lives? And if not, why not? That's our first duty. Second duty on a personal level. Verse 9. Abhor what is evil. We don't use that a lot, do we? Abhor? Say, well, I abhor that. You hear that a lot in conversation? That's not a common word, but you know what it means? It means to hate, to shrink back, to detest, to battle. And it's a battle for all of us to abhor all that's evil because there's a lot of evil around us, isn't there? We as believers are greatly influenced by the advances of technology, right? I know I struggle with that every time they have some new program at the jail we got to learn. We all got to go through the gyms process. That's some some technology we have to use on the computer and then the next year they buy a better one and so it's some other program and so uh I admit I didn't grow up with a generation with all these computer chips and all the speed and all this what's 35 whatever yeah, you get 35 instead of 20. Well, it's still kind of slow coming up. Uh, we just got our bright house, I think, up from 35, from 20 to 35, because they didn't have that old 20 anymore. So they came and did that. Well, it seems about the same speed. Maybe it's our computer. I don't know. But technology is good as long as we control it, right? But when technology takes over, we just need to be careful. Because we can get desensitized about evil. It's something we have to guard against at all times. For example, if we compared the violence on TV from what it was 10 years ago, all the immorality we see on today's programs would never have been tolerated 10 years ago. The commercials that are put on TV now would never have been shown 10 years ago. We should hate evil as God hates evil. You say, well, what is evil? Evil opposes God. And we see it all around. We should hate it. There's no such thing as a white lie. You ever hear that? That was just a white lie. What's a white lie? A lie's a lie. It's not halfway a lie. You can't sugarcoat it. It's one or the other. And I think as parents and grandparents, we need to help our, our children or grandchildren to hate what is evil. Why? Because God hates evil. Proverbs 22.6 says what? Train up a child or a grandchild in the way he wants to go? What is it? The way he should go. Is that easy? Oh, everybody... Uh, mom and dad or grandpa and grandma but 
but Joey's doing this and Susie's doing this. Isn't that okay? They're all doing it. I'm the only one not doing it. Well, get good. Good. Because we are going to stand out when we have that standard that God says we need to have in our lives of hating, abhorring evil. Hatred is toward evil, which is the opposite of holiness and godliness. Psalm 97.10 shares, Hate evil, you who love the Lord. Pretty simple. It's not that hard to understand that. It's not like you can misinterpret it. That's in uh, Psalms 97.10. Hate evil, you who love the Lord. What's evil? It's the enemy of God. We must never get pulled into the fangs of evil because it's out there. It's everywhere. Love confronts someone doing evil to encourage them get back to God's righteousness. Get back into what God wants you to be doing. The example of Jesus clearing the temple in John 2. We won't turn to that. But that passage is John 2, 13 to 16. They were misusing what the temple was for. What was the temple for? To gather to worship who? God. And they made it like a, a farmer's market. Come here and get this nice lamb over here for whatever money they were exchanging. They were making it a den of thieves. They were actually overcharging people, and they were using that almost like a, like a farmer's market in God's temple. And Jesus cleared the temple. One commentator said this, the only security against sin is to be shocked by it. We've got to be careful we don't get desensitized. We need to be sure that the Holy Spirit, when he says, that's wrong, we say that's wrong, and I cannot participate in that. You know one area that's easy to fall into? We use with our mouths? Gossip. Talking about others. Running others down. Slander. Is that honor God? It doesn't. We need to be careful. Bad language. I just shared with uh, the inmates on Thursday. I shared with them. I said, you know, we've got to watch our language. Does it bother us anymore when we hear God's name used in vain? I hear it a lot, don't you? I hear it sometimes in Publix. Wow, you know, in Publix. Walmart. I hear God's name used in vain. That bothers me. That's our God's name being used wrongly. You say, well, everybody does that. Does that make it right? Abhor what is evil. Hate that which is evil. Does evil that opposes God's holiness, does it bother us? We say, well, that's just something you hear all the time. It should bother us. Do you think Paul always stood around when, when they would talk in a bad way about Jesus? said, well, that's okay. I, I understand that. I hear it all the time. He spoke up. We need to speak up as well. Corinth, also known as Sin City, had great struggles. These um, believers, as they were constantly slipping back into their old ways. And Paul told them in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality, flee from idolatry. 
Sexual immorality is a temptation all around us. It's in commercials, magazine ads, Clearwater Beach. What did Joseph do in Genesis 39, 10 to 13? What did Joseph do when the man he was working under, his wife was seducing him, grabbed his garment? What did he do? He ran. Took off. Say, well, he should have sat there and argued about it. No. God prompted him to flee and he fled. He was falsely accused later, but he stood up for what God wanted him to do at that time. We need to flee from idolatry, and idolatry is anything that gets in the way of worshiping God and Him alone. God has to be number one. If God isn't number one in our lives, The rest of the list doesn't matter, does it? It's going to be messed up. We're looking at the wrong thing first. God has to be first in our lives. Idolatry can include a lot of things. Here's one. Sports. Oh, wow. Wow. Chaplain John, you're really going out on a limb there. Nobody worships sports. (laughs) How many go to the Super Bowl every year? How many go to the World Series? You know, that's just the the top of the hill. And it's okay to enjoy sports, but it should never replace God. And you say, well, it hasn't replaced God, except I spend all my time doing that, and I don't spend any time in the Word. Hmm. Wow. Doesn't add up. Other things. Popularity. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You've got to watch we don't put anything before God. He has to be number one. Inmates have told me their list of idolatry. Here's what they came up with. Drugs, prostitution, alcoholism, and pornography. If we have a healthy fear of God, we will hate what God hates. Because God has brought us into his family and we have the privilege to walk this earth and journey on this earth putting on more of Christ each day and less of ourselves. Third personal duty, our obligation. Verse 9, cling to what is good. You know what that word cling means? Like glue. Anybody ever experienced super glue? Ever had that fun thing of pushing too hard and it comes out the wrong end? And suddenly you have two or three fingers all stuck together. You say, wow, where's the antidote for this? <laughs> you go back to the store and you've got to buy another thing to unglue your fingers. Gasoline doesn't work. I've tried that. It doesn't work at all. <laughs> you've got to get that other stuff to get it unglued. But that's the picture here. Cling like super glue to what is good. And what is good is what God tells us is good. And where do we know that? Where's that list? Right here. That's why we've got to be in it every day. Great list that I have up in my office every day. And I've been reminded by my life's partner several times. Carol's told me, I put this up right above my desk, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, and true is truth in God and His Word, whatever things are noble, 
which is worthy of respect. Whatever things are just, what is right, whatever things are pure, morally clean, whatever things are lovely, kind and gracious, whatever things are of good report, thought well of, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate, focus, concentrate on these things. That's a good list. And when something's come up and say, well, Lord, I I was spending time in your word and I'm being interrupted here or whatever. Those are God's interruptions that he allows in our lives. Why? He has some purpose in it, doesn't he? That's a good list. We must trust the discernment we've been given and trust the study of God's word to teach us what is good. I had soldiers ask me. I've had inmates ask me. They'll say, chaplain, I don't know if I should do this. And I said, why are you asking that? Well, I said, it's because you want an exception, right? If you have to ask whether you should do something, we already know the answer. We're just trying to get a, a, uh, an exception to the rule, right? Because if we're studying God's word, and if we're concentrating on letting God work in our lives, we have the answers in God's word. And when we're asking, should I be doing this, we're already questioning it. And we know the answer every time is, no, we shouldn't be. If you have to ask it, you probably shouldn't be. I had one soldier ask me once, chaplain, can I go into that bar? I said, well, you can go into that bar. Do you think Jesus would want me to do that? Do you? Well, no, probably not. He already knew the answer. We already often know the answer before we ask the question. But while we're being sanctified, setting apart by the renewing of our mind, the Holy Spirit is changing our perspective. We start to look at things through God's eyes instead of our own. We're looking as what's important to God. How can I please God? How can I do which is good in His eyes? Not the world's eyes. They have a whole different standard they go by. And while we're being sanctified, we need to be allowing that transformation of our minds to be going on as well. First Thessalonians 5.21 tells us, Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Why? Because the world's looking. Aren't they? I see a more desperation. I see it even among the inmates. They're looking for an answer. Where is it? We know where it is. We have it. We need to share it. We have to put on the mind of Christ so we can discern good from evil. Add anything to this list of what we're hanging on to like glue, that which is good. I think we could find many, many things to add. We know things that God wants us to do. Spend time in the Word. Why? Because God commands it. Because we need to know what God wants us to do. Amen? Otherwise, we just say, well, I'm going to go do this. Oh, I guess three people are going to copy you, so we'll go do this. We'll make our own list. We need to get the counsel of the Word. That's what God wants us to be doing. He wants us to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Everything goes to God in prayer. Everything. Because if everything's going to God in prayer, we don't have time to worry, do we? 
Philippians 4, verse 7, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Everything. I asked the inmates on Thursday, I said, what's everything? That means all, chaplain. Well, what's all? 80%? No. 100%. Again, the bottom line for us. Those are two things we know we should do. We know we should assemble together. Why? To encourage one another. Don't we need that? How many don't need any encouragement? Way to encourage. How many can't give encouragement? We can all do that, right? Say, well, I don't know how God can... You can always encourage each other. We never get too much. We can never give too much. And God's Word is our encouragement. Other believers are our encouragement because we walk in this life as Christians following God's standard. And that won't make us popular with the world, but that will keep us accountable to God that we're going to have to give an answer to someday. How do we stand in reference to a godly life personally? Are we fulfilling these personal duties? Are we doing what verse 9 says? We need to do a self-evaluation. You just say, Lord, look in my heart. And he'll point it out. He'll help us. He'll help us to make the permanent changes that we try to do in our own strength. God says, let me do it through you so that you can reflect me. Does the world around us see us reflecting or deflecting Christ? They look at us and say, that's what a Christian is. I want nothing to do with it. Or they say, you got something I don't have. What is it? We're a witness whether we want to be or not. People are watching us. And I just pray that, that we can allow God to personally apply each one of these three duties to our lives on a personal level. Next week we'll look at ten duties that we have for each other within the body of Christ. But I just pray that you would take this list and you, you would see this list and say, God, I'm not where I need to be. Help me. I'm making some progress. Help me to continue on the right path. Don't give up on me. And he won't. I had one inmate say, well, chaplain, I think God gave up on me. No, he didn't. You're still breathing. You're still here on this earth. And God hadn't given up on him. He, he killed two people. Young, young man, 19 years old. Says, I'll probably never be out of jail. You know, I said, God's with you right here. He loves you. Sent his son. And he's under conviction, but he hasn't made a decision. Pray for Greg. God will work in his life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we can be your children, that you've chosen us, you've saved us, you keep us, and we're going to be with you forever. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would continue to help us to live for you, live the godly life that only you can produce in us. And Father, may we look at our personal lives and see if we're, we're doing what Romans 12, 9 tells us to do, what you tell us to do. And if we need to make changes, pray that we'd allow you to do it in your perfect way. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.